0: Listening to Liberation. I'm your host, LaCroix Hatcher. Liberation presents Coleman Yokum. Coleman is the executive director of the Micah Six Community, a nonprofit program that feeds the needy in Pontiac, Michigan. This episode, Coleman will discuss his ongoing challenge to meet the needs of the low-income addicts and the homeless. Coleman will also speak on his time at Harding University, the food store Sprout, his gardens, underground church, and the upcoming Webster Community Center. Please enjoy the show. Okay, Liberation Family, I am here on my first on-location interview. Uh, I'm here in Pontiac, Michigan, um, with an interesting situation, with an interesting young man uh, by the name of Coleman Yoakum, and he is the director of an organization called Micah 6. Uh, but Micah 6 is much more than just a neighborhood project. Um, we're going to get into that. How are you doing this afternoon?
1: I'm oh, great. Great. Things are good. Beautiful. uh, Kind of actually overcast shreddy day. (laughs) Fall is here uh, in Michigan and I said my goodbyes to the sun uh, a couple weeks ago and we'll see him again in April. Okay.
0: Okay. Tell the audience about your early life.
1: Man, uh, I grew up, my parents were both in the Air Force uh, and so uh, they both, I was, so I was born on Lackland Air Force Base uh, in San Antonio, Texas uh, my older siblings got all the cool travel they got France and Germany and the Azores and the Philippines and all this stuff I got East San Antonio West San Antonio back to East and then Little Rock, Arkansas so I uh, grew up uh, in a small town called Bibi, uh, which uh, for anybody who's around Harding uh, is about 20 minutes from Harding University that's where I grew up
0: okay, okay uh, so I read in the christian chronicle that uh you want to be a film producer and the desire to do drugs (laughs) that's not normal how that come about so
1: i love film i love film i love comedy uh and so my yeah my life ambition for most of my uh formative years was to go to film school make a couple good movies do a lot of drugs (laughs) that's what i wanted to do uh and so uh, when uh, Jesus got a hold of me, uh, my youth minister at the time said, "Hey, you know you can't do a lot of drugs and love <laughs> Jesus and stuff." And I was like, "Oh crap! And like Jesus is already ruining my plans. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll go to Harding." So that's how that's how, that's how that happened.
0: Okay, so um, from the beginning, how were you? You mentioned a youth minister. Um, so how did that intertwine to you going to the Lord's Church?
1: So, uh, I had, yeah, had a friend who was a substitute teacher at my high school. Uh, his name was Mac Sandlin, uh, who was also the youth minister at the local Church of Christ. And so, uh, Mack and I, uh, had a good relationship from, uh, from our school where he was a sub. And I think that is the best way to meet like young people. If you're a youth minister, if you're, uh, doing something with teens, like being in the schools is awesome. And so that's how Mac and I got connected Talking about comic books, talking about movies, that sort of thing, uh, and then uh, started hanging out with him a lot. Got to ask a lot of my weird questions, work out a lot of my weird questions. Uh, you know, basically lived with him for uh, a lot of the summer between senior year uh, or yeah, after senior year and going off to college. So, got to work out a lot of my weird stuff with Max in kind a of one on one and <laughs> in free time and talking about you know Joseph Campbell and comic books and movies and story arcs that we really believe in and. Mm. Uh, so through a lot of that stuff, I um, came to Jesus.
0: Okay. About how old were you What's your conversion? 18? 18. Mm-hmm. 18. Um, and you lived a certain portion of time with your youth minister?
1: Yeah. So he, he and I were, you know, we I, I had a very strained relationship uh, sometimes at home. I mm-hmm. uh, say often that I think that there was a meeting at my house that I wasn't invited to where my parents said, there are a lot of children here. Uh and we are having a hard time feeding all of them. Uh, let's see if we can cut one loose and uh and so that was uh people were like you know, they were like people like Coleman. Uh and so I, I ended up uh yeah, staying with Mac for most of that that summer, a lot of the year, even up before that.
0: Okay. And then from high school you ended up at Harding.
1: Yeah, so uh when I decided I couldn't go to film school, uh, sort of you know, looked at Mac and said, He's got a pretty cool job, just kinda hangs out with teenagers all day and that seemed fun. And so I decided to go to Harding uh, as a Bible major. Mm. And went, got there, had never, uh, you know, not spent a lot of time in the Word at that point. And so, uh, but decided I wanted to be a Bible major. Uh, my very first class was Old Testament with Dale Manor. Uh, and so he walks in and he says, you know, a lot of you are new to college. And so I'm going to give you a softball. Uh, I'm going to let you, your first test is going to be all of the books of the Bible. In order,
0: cool.
1: and everyone in my class laughed, and I was just like, "I." Uh, and so I went up to him after class and said, "I just found out about Jesus, uh, literally a few days ago." Uh, and so um, there's like a hundred books of the Bible, right? <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you know, roughly." Uh, and so I, I, he he said, but he laughed and he says, "There's always one of you," and I said, "I don't know what that means," uh, but he said he would let me take it as many times as I wanted until I got a grade that I liked. Um, which was very generous of him Uh, I kept bombing that task over (laughs) and over again Uh, and luckily we got through the first five books in class already and so then that gets you to the only sentence which is Joshua Judge's Ruth and then you've got the ones and twos in reverse alphabetical order Samuel King's Chronicles like this is how I've like tried to remember all these books and um, I'm walking down the hallway one day and the most hearting thing ever happened where I'm in my dorm and I just hear down the hall And I looked around, and there's a skinny white dude, and I said, skinny white dude, there's a song, and it's my best friend Dylan, and he says, yeah, we all learned it when we were five, and I said, not all of us." and so Dylan and I became best friends sitting across the room from each other in Harbin dorm, as he's teaching me the books of the Bible song at 18.
0: Nice. Um, So you, uh, fast forward a little bit, so you graduate from Harding? Mm-hmm. Um and you and a bunch of friends come up with a novel idea to uh assist lower income neighborhoods um How did you guys how did what was the genesis of this thought
1: so uh at Harding um we were doing community work uh, in a neighborhood not far from where we were going to school, so it started with jail ministry mm-hmm. uh going to jail hanging out with some dudes there. We were not very good jail ministers. Uh, The guy who ran the jail ministry was a guy named Sid. Uh, And he, you know, every day would give us a pep talk before we went in. It's like, you know, the goal here, guys, is to get these men baptized and get them into the water before they go off to prison and serve longer terms. We're trying to make believers out of them in the time that we have here. And, you know, that is important. Uh, But I think, you know, more and more, even then, to now, I just don't think that that conversation can be rushed, uh, mm-hmm. that the faith conversation is the most important conversation anyone can ever have. And that uh-huh. maybe that isn't left best left to strangers. Uh, and so we just went in and got to know the guys and we would sneak in Skittles and use that as currency for poker. And we played <laughs> poker, we played <laughs> spades and just like hearing about these guys lives and where they came from and hearing You know really interesting stories and funny stories and then really awful stories Mm. Um, you know and a number of these guys were from that area and i'm from that area so we knew a lot of the same people and kind of knew i would see people in there that i went to high school with Mm. and so that was pretty surreal but uh we started hearing over and over again then that a lot of these guys were coming from the same neighborhood there in searcy and so dylan and i just had the idea one day like let's just walk over there and see what's going on in that neighborhood Mm. and Uh, Woodruff Street is, uh, you know, sort of the spot where, uh, at the time especially, a lot of low-income housing, a lot of government-subsidized housing in that that neighborhood. And so we walked over there with a soccer ball. We started kicking a ball around, and eventually, like, here came a kid and another kid and another kid. And we started playing soccer with ten kids. And so we said, that was fun. Let's just do that again. And we came back the next week and did it again and again. Eventually, the moms in the neighborhood started going, like, where does my kid go? every Tuesday at five o'clock mm. and they came out. We got to know them. We had a lot of girls that we were hanging out with in school who needed kid observation hours for their early childhood education degrees and things like that. And so we brought them and they started organizing babysitting nights and all the moms would drop kids off at one central location so that a lot of those especially single moms could go, grocery shopping or go out on a date or go see a movie
0: mm-hmm. or
1: sometimes like just go sit at home because single moms don't get a whole lot of silence in their life and so uh, they started doing that we started doing things for holidays you know we did a truck or treat you know one of the moms said kids in this neighborhood don't trick or treat because it's not super safe and so mm-hmm. we just brought everybody we knew who had a car and did a truck or treat in the neighborhood and then we played basketball in the street you know in our costumes till late and then it came up on Easter and uh, we had a lot of friends in the dorm who were having a small competition amongst themselves to see who could get away the longest with raising barnyard animals in their dorm rooms, uh, And so we snuck out a lot of these animals out of the dorms and we took them to the neighborhood and had a petting zoo for Easter. It was like chickens and ducks and goats and a rabbit and like you know just fun stuff like that. And, you know, that was so life-giving that, you know... This felt more like gospel and more like church than a lot of the things that we were doing in class, Mm. than a lot of the things we were hearing about, you know, in missionary anthropology or anything like that. And so we started having a conversation amongst our group of friends about what if we moved somewhere and did this for real that Mm. I believe in being a good neighbor, and I believe that being good neighbors has the power to change a community, and change a neighborhood, uh, and so what does it look like for us to pick a neighborhood that needs good neighbors, and mm. move in, love on a neighborhood somewhere, and, and see if we could really make a difference, and that's kind of how the idea started kicking around, started moving, and uh, that was kind of a thing that we all committed to as a group of friends to move somewhere together.
0: Okay, so leaving out of Arkansas, how did um, Detroit, of all places... Detroit area.
1: So, yeah. So we... Any good idea can just die in the talking about it phase.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so we started talking about where we wanted to go. And we've... Charlotte, St. Louis, Memphis, Dallas, Houston, you know, parts of Los Angeles. Like we, we just sort of... All, we're kicking all these... London, Ontario. We, we, we were kicking all these options and all these ideas around. And... Nobody seemed game to just go. And it, it was it was pretty clear that we were just going to keep talking until somebody just went and did it. Mm. Uh, and so in the fall of 2011, uh, I sold everything that didn't fit into my car. I said, I'm going to drive to Detroit, and I'm going to go figure it out. Mm. Uh, Detroit came about just because 2011, nobody said anything good about Detroit. Uh, and so to try and find a place where... Uh, we would be able to find the kind of neighborhood we were looking for, which was, you know, our three criteria were high crime, high foreclosure, high unemployment. Um, It seemed like Detroit was going to be a pretty easy place to find (laughs) a neighborhood like that. Uh, And so, you know, it it wasn't, it wasn't prayerful discernment. It wasn't, you know, demographic research. It was just, that seems like the easiest place to find the kind of place we're looking for. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go there.
0: Okay. Um what did you find as far as a property disparity in um Pontiac?
1: Sure. So I first first moved to Detroit, um, lived downtown for a year and just spent a year hanging out with great organizations who weren't changing the world, right? They're not changing the world, they're not even changing the city. They're just making life better for people within a couple blocks of where they were working and so cast community with faith fowler and central detroit christian with lisa johannan and elevate detroit with mike schmidt uh and so just hanging out with these folks learning from what they do and then sort of looked around for for where we could really make an impact and so started getting pulled into pontiac which is a northwest suburb looks a lot like detroit in terms of uh it was a manufacturing suburb that you know nafta really gutted uh unemployment's pretty high poverty's pretty high uh foreclosure was way up there and so um started looking around pontiac uh and you know pontiac is a community in detroit is, is very similar where uh you know income and wealth can be separated by just a street that you know the neighborhood that i live in is 89 percent rentals Uh, you know unemployment is somewhere around 38 percent 50 percent of my neighbors don't have cars Hmm. Uh, but you know as soon as you cross m59 which is here on which is you know basically right across the street from us it goes to 22 percent rentals and a median household income of about sixty thousand dollars a year and uh you know it goes from being predominantly black which is my neighborhood to being predominantly white on the Hmm. other side of that street and that that geographically you know You can throw a rock from one neighborhood to the other, but the lived experience of people in this neighborhood is very different from that neighborhood across the street. And that is the story of many places in Detroit and many parts of southeast Michigan, especially, is that that's pretty common. Mm.
0: Um, In coming to Detroit, uh, what steps did you take as far as identifying the needs of this particular area?
1: Yeah, so I, you know, I probably went, uh, the way I did it is probably not how I would recommend it. I kind of got here and went, that seems weird, that seems weird, that seems weird. I didn't didn't do enough research about the place that I was going, especially in terms of the history. Uh Uh, And so when I was trying to organize groups to go do projects in Detroit... Uh, in the suburbs and folks would look at me and go i'm not going down there um, you can't convince me to move down there and i didn't understand and it wasn't until uh, a couple of the right books landed in my hands to make me you know that i read and said oh this the socio-political historical story of this community is much deeper than i had an appreciation for when i moved mm-hmm. and so you know through a lot of that sort of started discerning and learning more about the history of the area and the region and, and had a lot of really wise teachers along the way who, uh, continually reminded me, and this has been very true that I will have more luck convincing people to move here from out of state than I will convincing people to move here from adjacent communities, Mm. uh, that the baked in narrative for Pontiac and for Detroit, uh have affected people in the region and you know yeah you'll have better luck talking to somebody into moving here from texas than you will from rochester to to pontiac and that's been absolutely true mm. um so you know our, our whole team is out of stateers. yeah i mean I'm, mm. I'm from arkansas dylan's from kingsport tennessee kim was from st cloud minnesota emma is from hannibal missouri bethany is from west palm beach florida like that we're from all over the place and we moved here because, yeah, the, the stigma in the geographic region that we're in is very, very strong. Uh, and so that was interesting. Um, but in terms of like listening, I mean, you know, discerning needs in the community, we, when we moved into our house, we bought our house, moved in, uh, in 2012, and we really made a commitment that we weren't going to do anything for a year. Mm. We're going to sit, we're going to listen, we're going to ask a lot of questions We're going to share with you know especially with our team the things that we're hearing and then we're going to share it back to other people in the neighborhood and find out if that was one person's opinion or if more people feel that way uh and so there was a lot of uh you know and and it's it's really big part of our dna it's just listening we spend a lot of time sitting we sit with other people and we listen Uh, And then we sort of reflect on those conversations and find out if there's a way to quantify uh, or really distill down the essence of what people were saying uh, in a way that can be sort of built into a a question of like, is that a space where we can work? Or is that something that maybe we should address or jump into?
0: Okay. Um, Whether in town or out of town, how um, easy or difficult was it to uh, galvanize people to doing the work that you're doing?
1: We'll start with that out of town first. So, um, when we talk about when somebody talks about coming and joining the team, um, there's a level of commitment that's there already, right? You know, if somebody is moving from Midlothian, Texas to uh, Pontiac, Michigan, they're committed. They're they're leaving something. They're coming here. They're you know they're getting pretty plugged in and they're, they're sort of making a, a pretty huge commitment at least for a short time to doing the work that we're doing so um communicating about what we do sharing the vision for what we do sharing our successes that mm. is actually working i think that in our hearts uh i think particularly new believers i think particularly people who have a desire to take jesus seriously we want to believe the things that jesus says mm. um that faithful people can change the world. Amen. That uh, that a positive presence in a hard place can make a real difference, that light is more contagious than darkness. Uh, I think we want to believe that. Uh, I think that boring Bible classes, repetitive Sunday school, uh, and, uh, maybe some worldly pessimism that seeps in, uh, moves us to a place where we think that those things are aspirational and not actual. Mm. Uh, And so to come and do it and be able to share successes and share things that are going well and tell people like, this is real. I think that that builds excitement. And then we get a lot of people, optimists, especially who say, I want to go be part of that. Like Mm. that's the thing that I'm believing in that I'm not seeing where I'm at that I want to go and be a part of. So galvanizing people to come and do this work here is pretty cool and it self-selects that that mostly what we get is optimists that mostly what we get is young people that mostly what we get is people who are taking jesus very seriously Mm. uh and so they get here and and sort of that is awesome in the community uh initially it was very hard um that there was you know we were relatively new uh i mean so like i said we took that first year listened uh, by the time we had been here for a year, we were some of the oldest folks in the neighborhood. We had been here longer than almost anyone else. Mm. And by the time we really jumped in on starting some initiatives, starting some projects, starting our gardens, starting our kids' programs, um, you know, people were uh, familiar with us. They knew uh, that we meant well, that we wanted to, you know, good for this neighborhood, and that we were really to put a lot on the line to make that happen. Uh, and so when our neighbors knew that we were working in good faith and were confident that that's why we were here uh, and that we were people who could, you know, help really do some really cool things in this neighborhood, then I think that 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 energy is contagious. Mm -hmm. Uh, And especially when you get one or two neighbors who get involved and see it actually work and see it actually, like, cool things happening, then that spreads to other people in the community. Right,
0: right. Um, Have you... Faced any difficulties coming to a neighborhood that's predominantly um, African American? Um, do you have any difficulties being a Caucasian man um, as far as gaining the trust of the neighborhood?
1: Yeah. I, so one of my favorite stories about this, and I think some of it comes from that initial ignorance that I talked about, right? Mm-hmm. And and this this is that I, I was at a funeral uh, a couple of days ago, and. Uh, I was walking in, and there was a, a black couple behind me, and uh, and he said, "Do you know what door to go in?" And I said, "I don't. I'm just gonna walk up and pull on a couple doors until I find one that's open." And he says, "White confidence." <laughs> I said, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "He goes. If it's a white guy pulling on a locked door, you're just lost. If it's me, it's a breaking and entering." Right. <laughs> uh, and so and and so there are a number of things, and yeah, that white confidence for sure. Um, you know, I. I'm lucky in that that's how I was born and so I kind of get to move in some spaces more ignorantly than uh, than other folks get to move in some spaces mm-hmm. and so when I got here and didn't know as much as I needed to know about the history of the area and you know we had a, a street pastor a guy named John Smith who uh, when we were building our garden said you should go and talk about this at city council I said okay and so went got up said hi my name's Coleman never been to a city council meeting before I had no idea what I was doing hi, my is Coleman Yoakum, just moved up here from Arkansas, want to uh, start some community gardens and feed people and whatever, and they're like, okay, great thank you, uh, and then the next person gets up, uh, who comes every week uh, with a prepared speech uh, and he, he says, you know my name is so and so and I came here with my prepared speech today, but I must address something that I just heard it sounds like Mr. Yoakum is moving here to reinstitute sharecropping in our communities and further rape us <laughs> of our ability to feed ourselves and our people and our families, and I was like whoa <laughs> This is like, you know, I said, like, I just moved here. I haven't raped anybody. Um, And so, uh, yes. And so that was, you know, the very early days. It was, you know, establishing our credibility, um, showing people that we we had the right things in mind. And, you know, there's a lot of things about this community and a lot of spaces in this community that have uh, been historically sort of community points or community centers For people that have been demolished or bought up or moved out or done other things, where they've become, you know, playgrounds for white people. I mean, (laughs) we had a community center that got bought by people who turned it into, uh, you know, ten thousand dollar a match tennis courts. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, grass tennis courts that are under a bubble all the time and protected, and just you know the you know we one of a GM factory got bought and turned into uh car condos for you have to have an expensive car that lives in this condominium and you can entertain above it and they have a private racetrack where you can go race your really expensive car and like that's that's the story of a lot of spaces in this town and i didn't know that and so uh where i was like this is i was getting attacked for no reason like Mm. it's not for no reason there is a reason there uh and so We establish credibility by being consistently available. We'll have a conversation with anyone. We'll talk to anybody. We'll entertain anyone in our garden. We'll give anyone a tour. We're out on the porch. We're meeting people all the time. Uh, But also demonstrating that we're not leaving when things get hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, That, you know, people can vandalize our house. People can tear up our gardens. People can whatever. But we're not going anywhere. We're going to keep doing it. And so... especially now that you know like i said it took a year for us to be some of the oldest neighbors here by the end of two years we were absolutely the oldest neighbors in the neighborhood Uh, and 10 years later we've seen people come and go sometimes two or three times uh and you know we're we're here and uh but we have to keep proving it right like Mm we we don't get to just go like we did some really great things five years ago and now everybody should take us seriously Mm -hmm. and and know that we're we're here for good reasons and Uh, We have to keep serving, we have to keep working, we have to keep proving over and over again that we're here for the right reasons, we're doing the right things, that we are partnering with the community, not doing things to the community.
0: Right, right. You're the pillar of the community now. I hope so. Um, I I think a certain and paranoia may not be the accurate word, but I think with a lot of the lower income income level portions of cities, you're starting to see gentrification happening. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are being basically forced out. Yeah. Um, but with that being said about um, that gentleman, it's funny that you brought that up because I um, actually had a question about that. Um, I hope I'm not um, casting the wrong light. Mm-hmm. But has there been any envy from um, minority leaders or politicians because of the progress you're making in the neighborhood?
1: Hmm. I think that no uh, okay. so I, I think of you know Perry Earl. Perry Earl and I Perry's a community leader young guy activist in the neighborhood does a lot of good work and uh, and we bring him along for some really cool things that we're working on. he brings us along for really cool things we're working on you know I at this point when you've been around and been gardening as long as we have, you have a pretty serious stockpile of tools that when he wants to do a community cleanup or anything, he comes over and borrows tools from us. And, oh, okay. uh, and we, we share very openly those things. And so we're supporting each other's stuff. And, and Pontiac, and I, and I would imagine communities like Pontiac, you know, is 60,000 people. Um, but the village of people who are doing the work, it's about 200 of us. And we're all good friends. And we all support each other's stuff. And we're all at each other's events. We're all... Uh, kind of in and jumping in and helping each other with different projects and whatnot and so uh, as long as you are a faithful and active participant in that community and you're always operating in good faith the support is there Uh, and so uh, no. so I'm trying to think like on a political level I don't think so jealousy no Um, there's some people who I think sometimes intentionally misunderstands what we're doing. Uh, intentionally misunderstands. Oh, absolutely. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when something... I, I think we get scapegoated a lot because of the work we do, particularly with homeless people. Uh, we, we get... Uh, so, for instance, I was at a planning commission meeting not long ago. I got pulled out by a concerned neighbor from... The south side of that street uh, that divides our, our our city, and she says, uh, "There's a homeless pe- person sleeping in my garage, and I know it's your fault." And I said, "Tell me more. Why? Why is this? You know what?" She said, "Well, he's been in there, and and I know that he's only here because you're serving homeless people, and if you would stop making it so comfortable for them to stick around here, they would move on. Mm. But because you're feeding people, because you're." letting them hang out because you're letting them into your house because you're letting them charge their phones because you're doing all these things they're not moving on to somewhere else and then at the end of the day they need a place to stay and they're sleeping in my garage and I said how long has this been happening and she says about a year and I said well let me tell you about some other things that have happened this year Uh, there's a pandemic going on there's an eviction moratorium where uh, nobody's moving around so if this person wanted to get into housing they can't Uh, And so they're stuck on the street until, you know, people start moving around again and they have opportunity to get into a space like that. There's a housing crisis across this country in terms of affordability. There's not a homeless person sleeping in your garage because of anything that I'm doing. Um, But they, you know, if, if there's crime, if there's any sort of an issue, they want to believe that it's because... Micah six is here and serving people and, and supporting that element in the neighborhood.
0: Uh, uh, uh. And, um, well, I'll come back to that. Um, so you're in an impoverished neighborhood. Um, and we're just going to keep it real Mm -hmm. impoverished neighborhood, Caucasian man. Uh, and as I've seen my own eyes, you have some Caucasian partners with you. Mm -hmm. Um, is there a level of danger that worried you initially?
1: Yeah, and we, you know, we get that question a lot. Um, on some level, it is a side effect of our privilege that we're able to do this, that we were able to quit what we were doing wherever we were, come here, do this, that we can work for a little to no pay because, you know, we've got a safety network and people who will take care of us if anything happens or if we, come here that we have a network of people that we can talk to to raise support to support us being here like and those are not luxuries that other people have right. uh, and that other backgrounds demographics, and, and histories have you know mm-hmm. that's that's something that's really better you know, that is a byproduct really of how we grew up in our space and, and our history and so uh, and I talk to students all the time I talk to people all the time about coming here and doing this work and especially when I go talk at universities and things like that people who will uh you know black kids who will come up to me after class and say thank you for doing that that's awesome i wish something like that would have existed in the neighborhood that i grew up in Mm -hmm. and my answer to them is always you know come and do it come you know come be an intern come join the team come and and uh the response i get often is not a chance that i'm in college right now so i don't have to go back to places like that Mm -hmm. And that is a very real yeah. thing and a very real experience that a lot of folks have. Um, so I, you know, very aware of how white we are, um, <laughs> and and how that that hamstrings us in a lot of ways. Um, but um, so I didn't. I never expected danger. Okay. Uh, I never expected or was concerned about. Crimes against us for being white. Um, so I, I guess my my concerns for for violence or whatever, whenever racism. And you know, we've had stuff stolen from us. That happens. I've I've been punched a couple of times. That happens, and mm. I probably deserved it at least one of those times. Uh, and so um, explain but, that. Uh, so we had a, a guy who. Uh, was in addiction, and I I can... He's probably embarrassed about the story, so I I won't say his name, but a friend of ours, homeless guy in the neighborhood, in addiction, uh, struggling a little bit. We had an extra room at the time at the house, and he asked if he could stay here, and I said, yeah, sure, not a problem, and he stayed with us for a little while, and then he disappeared. Disappeared for three months. Didn't know where he went, didn't know, like, never heard a word, couldn't get a hold of him. You know, had our assumptions that he was probably back using somewhere might have, might have gotten arrested and mm-hmm. was in jail somewhere like a real possibility uh and so you know at the end of three months bagged up his stuff threw it away uh and two months later after that so we're five months since uh-huh. we've heard anything from him uh and and it's not valuable stuff it was like a bedroll it was some clothes it was a couple books uh he shows up and says you know where's my stuff and i said we haven't heard from you in almost half a year like we tossed it and he was very upset about that and i think i just had a long day and so i was not particularly graceful or uh empathetic in that moment and so he punched me and i didn't appreciate it at the time but <laughs> you know looking back you go yeah i probably deserve that okay. uh and that's okay um
0: has anything happened around here? Um, not to say that you had a cushy life, um, but going to Complete 180, does anything around here tested your faith to the point where it's like, I don't know about what I'm doing. Is it worth it?
1: Oh, all the time. Okay. Um, but what you do uh, is you build a life that you cannot extract yourself from on a bad day that I'm so rooted that Mm -hmm. I'm so here that I you know I own a house here that my family's here my job is here that that I can't in a single day or in a bad week or even in a bad month extract myself from this and say I'm out Mm -hmm. um that there are people here who count on me there's neighbors here who count on us and our work and that you know on a bad day you can't leave Mm -hmm. um this is what you know. I think about this with church a lot, where you you know, you have a bad experience and you go, well, I'm not going to that church anymore. I'm like <laughs> if if it's that easy for you to walk out, you were never really never rooted, yeah. right? Uh, and so being in, making a commitment, following through, uh, these things are really important to me. Uh, and so yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, you we know, we talked earlier that one of the most frustrating and hard parts about what we do is just people die people Mm. die all the time uh it's one of the most constant things about our work is that somebody's always dying uh and you get really worn out by that you get really tired of that and you get really confused by that that there are some people who seem like they're indestructible it's like you know i This person has been, you know, in a heroin addiction for 30 years. She's gotten hit by cars twice. She's always starving. She's always getting beat up. She's always wanting And just keeps on trucking. But this person who's relatively healthy and has two kids Mm. and whatever, like, she's the one that dies. Mm. And what sense does that make? And what was the the plan there? Mm. Um, And so... You know, those are really hard days. I mean, God is good. So, you know, here, here's another story. We had a, a girl in the neighborhood uh, who uh, was pregnant, lived on our porch for a while. Her boyfriend uh, one day threw her off the porch of our house, uh, physically tossed her down the stairs. Um, you know, several so people come over, jump in, beat him up in front of our house. Uh, we also heard that. Uh, one of our the teens that we would invested a lot of time, energy, and love into was, you know, sixteen and found out she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And you know, then there was a you know one of our other neighbors had died a couple of days before, and I was sitting on my front porch, just exhausted, yeah. and a thousand yard stair down Monroe Street, which is right in front of our house, and somebody walks around the corner, and I didn't know him, and that's pretty rare. Like we pretty we pretty much know everybody in the neighborhood. Uh, and he was just sort of walking and, and as he kind of crossed my field of vision, kind of gave me a double snap and went, hey, you're making a difference. Hmm. And kept walking and walked around the corner. Never saw that guy again. Uh, and like this is one of those moments where I go like, God just sent me a hood angel like that, that was like yeah. that That guy you've entertained was,
0: angels and don't even know it that guy was yeah.
1: there for that moment for that thing yeah and you just kind of you know that was one of those moments where you go
0: take a deep breath okay yeah.
1: and we're right back at it there are also you know tons of faith affirming moments like we we are uh, the rule here is almost we almost always say yes somebody calls and says hey I had a work banquet we have all this food left over do you guys want it yes yeah because within 30 minutes, probably before that food gets here, someone will call and go, I'm out of food. Do you have anything? Is there anything in my Six I can have? Mm-hmm. And you go, yeah, there's actually a lot of food on the way right now. Uh, and that happens weekly. Something like that will happen where we just say yes because we know that there's, for every need out there, that there, there's an answer. And if we say yes to the answer, then the need will show up and... That happens all the time, um, and so as often as there are there are faith questioning moments, there are so many faith affirming moments as well.
0: That's good. That's good. Um, now we didn't get exactly into the name, um, Micah Six mm-hmm. Community. Um, tell me about it. What inspired that name?
1: Sure. So when we moved here, you know, Micah Six Eight is you know the. The Jewish people that are having their conversation with God and they're going, God, we're doing all the things. We're going to temple. We're doing the sacrifices. We're doing all the stuff that you asked. So it doesn't really feel like we're getting any of the blessings. Uh, and God said, I never really wanted any of that. I just wanted you to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with me. And, you know, that, those three ideas, you know, so much of what we're working on is justice. Mm-hmm. But it's not fair that because of where you live, the quality of education your kid gets—it's going to be worse. That mm-hmm. um, just because of where you live, you're going to—you know—people in my neighborhood, on average, life expectancy is 64 years. Downtown Rochester, 10, 10 miles from here, is 81. Wow. That—that's food-related and that's environment-related. And just because of where you live, doesn't mean you should be dying earlier. Right, right. So a lot of the things that we're working with are issues of justice. Uh, mercy was for us that we were. Yeah, six college-educated white kids moving into a predominantly black neighborhood uh, that have the, had a lived experience very different from ours and that we were going to try things and say things and do things and try and do things that were not helpful, that mm-hmm. were dumb, that were uh, ill-informed, and that we knew that... Um, that we were going to need a lot of mercy from our neighbors uh kind of as we were figuring this all out together mm-hmm. uh and the humility is is also for us that we never stop listening that uh, we never think we have the answers so that we have it all figured out or that we know what this neighborhood needs at any given time that we need to consistently have the humility to keep listening uh and then also take direction and correction whenever we need it so Um, You only find out how bad a name is after you name something. um so uh people always assume that my name is micah um so that like i named it after myself uh or that there are six people on our team like we're a superhero game (laughs) yeah we're the micah six um so if i like you know every time we add a new person to the team we have to change the logo on the website um so if i could if i could change it i would but in terms of why we named it that those three guiding principles were really important to us and are really important to us
0: um How does the church play a role into Micah 6?
1: Yeah, so we, um, when we got here and we started looking for things the neighborhood needed uh, and and spaces that we could work in and maybe some things that we could help with, uh, we did not think church. Uh, Pontiac is 22 square miles. There's something like 169 registered churches in this city. We don't need another church. Uh, There's a lot of them. (laughs) Uh, but as we started hanging out with uh, folks, particularly homeless folks who were in our neighborhood, who uh, were mostly squatting in vacant houses, a lot of folks who had addiction issues, things like that, um, we kept hearing from them that they weren't welcome at area churches, like the churches that you can walk to. And so we looked into that, and we asked a lot of questions of our area churches, and found out that that was pretty accurate. That you know, one one pastor said you know, the group of people you're talking about are the people we have to chase off of our steps because they scare the people who are coming to church on Sunday. Mm. Uh, And so there wasn't a church for them, uh, for the folks that we were really building relationships with. And so we started a Thursday night Bible study that then grew into a couple of Bible studies that then grew into uh, a Sunday night. And so, um, you know, and it's still mostly folks who are in addiction and folks who are, uh, largely homeless or quasi-homeless or semi-homed uh, and yeah, that's our people and so we're in a given week now so we started Easter of 2014 uh, now between you know all of our Bible studies on Thursday night uh, a Saturday night service for sex offenders and a Sunday night uh, get-together we're seeing about 65 people a week
0: that's good, that's good um, now here's where the divide may come in mm-hmm. um are there, in your opinion, enough Caucasian churches helping the cause? And for that matter, is there enough African American, quote unquote, African American churches involved?
1: Um, Caucasian churches, yes. That that for better, for worse, and I think largely worse, uh, we are seen as a safe, white outpost in an area that has struggles and issues, right? So that sort of we feel comfortable taking our kids or our congregation there because there are people like us who can then guide us into how to help. Hmm. Um, and so uh, so we do get, you know, we have a ton of church help from all sorts of denominations and all sorts of churches. And even, you know, across the country, we have groups who come and spend a week with us and on mission trips and service trips and things like that. So we do get a lot of, lot, a lot of help uh, that way. Um, black churches are largely still pretty skeptical of us, uh, and then I would add on to that that they have a very different style of service uh, than most white churches. I mean, churches I grew up, like mission trips are just sort of a normal part of the thing, and uh, you know, work days and you know, going to Nashville work camp or whatever. Like the, these are all pretty normal parts of sort of a summer schedule or a a youth schedule, especially, um, that, that hasn't really carried over into the black community, Mm. uh, in different ways. And so when I talked about to congregations about coming and doing a service project with us, like it's not, um, that, that isn't language that carries, uh, or has carried over in some of the same ways. Now we do have a couple of black congregations, uh, here that do send their youth groups out and help us and, do great work with us and that's awesome. Uh, we also have a number of mega churches regionally who have a campus in Pontiac uh, that send their youth groups to work with us but um, those tend to be branches of churches that are mostly white run and mm-hmm. so they have pretty similar structure to suburban white churches uh, and so uh, we want to get more black congregations involved Like the the folks who have really come out from the black community who really love what we do uh, is uh, black fraternities and sororities mm. uh, they see the benefit they understand it they get it, they go yes this is something valuable and this is worthwhile And because a lot of them are, are like those kids from Harding or those kids from the universities I talk to who say they're, that's the kind of neighborhood I came from I want to give back to a neighborhood like that so I want to go work at Micah 6 because they're doing that kind of work
0: in a neighborhood like what i came from okay and um i know you mentioned there's um support from denominations or um different variations of groups throughout the city how does the church of christ come into play with this or even you know what for that matter Mm -hmm. harding also
1: sure so uh we'll start we'll start local and get baker um so there are two um black churches of christ here in pontiac um neither one of them have really gotten involved on a congregation level um several of them have members who come and help us out a lot and are really big champions of us and that's really great Mm -hmm. um there i don't know if that is you know that we have a congregation and so that feels competitive i don't know if that is uh you know some one of them has said we're not church christ enough uh and so that happens um suburban surrounding white churches of christ really like us a lot and have really partnered with us at lake orion and rochester and uh a number of others you know um white lake church of christ like really like what we do jumped in bristol road uh is a big helping congregation and so um like us support us are on board and that's really great and then there are you know we've also gotten smaller area churches of christ who You know, are predominantly white, but would say we're not church grass enough. So um, then you just have weird conversations, right? Like when you're you're talking to congregations and say, "Oh, come support, come help, some volunteers, some money, whatever," and and, you know, you always get the, "Well, we send money to India," and and I I I always like whenever anybody says that, I always have a a picture in my brain of somebody putting money in an envelope that just says India, and (laughs) (laughs) uh, and so so a, a number of congregations. I think when they think mission, they're still thinking international. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not thinking local. Um,
0: There's a mission right in front of you.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And so, um, so you know, we're we're still working on them. We still have good relationships with them. But uh, and then you know, Harding is my alma mater. It's where most of our team came from. Uh, and so when we go down there, we still get fantastic interns every summer from Harding. Um, love them. Uh, it has been really interesting to see, I mean, I've been going back to Harding now for 10 years to mm. talking about what we do. Um, the shift in consciousness that has happened, not necessarily in the administration, but in the students that when I would go back and I would talk about things like, you know, I, I do a, what I call a whiteboard tour of Detroit, which is a sort of a historical deep dive into sort of what affected the region and, and particularly how race and class play into that. But, um, when I'm talking about things like redlining mm. like, 10 years ago and people go I don't know what that is mm. uh, and now like, it's part of the vernacular yeah. that, that a number of things have happened I think just in the consciousness of young people but also particularly at Harding because of both of them uh, how race has affected many many people's lived experience um, and so I think that that was you know just such a shock to the system of predominantly suburban white kids mm-hmm. who all go to Harding and, and are now really had to come to grips with the very different experience that, that black folks have in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, so I go back and kids are on board. They know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in a lot of ways, I think uh, I've, for a lot of them, I've seen me go from like, Colton's doing a very weird thing to this is exactly <laughs> what we should be doing. Right. To, almost and for a lot of them like why is a white guy doing that like it has moved through me uh in a lot of ways which i think is really
0: interesting yeah. when i when i first read about you i got, I got it instantly mm-hmm. I, I get it yeah and i and i kind of even without meeting you or talking to you i can imagine some of the struggles off mm-hmm. of rip because um cleveland and detroit share a lot of similarities yeah um as far as uh certain industries and when they up and left or just all those transitions happen it affected neighborhoods yeah. drastically yeah. um and a lot of these inner city places used to be magnificent places to live in almost instantly became trash heaps for lack of better words and um i've actually been doing a lot of reading with this book called the color of law yeah. it talks about you got it somewhere huh? I've got
1: it somewhere <laughs> I'm looking at the wall it's like where is, it? where is it it's in here somewhere
0: and just the amount of segregation that was built in and underlying within the words of these laws but never um, overtly talked about mm-hmm. um, and how those things in the long run when jobs get lost it eventually starts affecting the neighborhoods and you understand why almost every neighborhood when there's Uh, certain levels of property drug usage you you almost automatically know who's there it's like you, from um, you know it's used from one hood to the hood it's the same people Uh, the same problems same underlying effects same type of stores liquor stores um you name it, mm-hmm. you whether it's Cleveland, Detroit, Atlanta, yeah. it's all the same problems, and it's not coincidence. Um, and what you're doing is exactly what the gospel is all about.
1: Yeah, and and that that I mean even more than that that when that is the perception of that neighborhood, yeah, you get to you know, and the, the you here I mean as you know outsiders mm-hmm. get to treat that neighborhood in a way. And there's nothing more frustrating to me than people from surrounding communities who drive into my neighborhood to throw their furniture on the side of the road. Mm. Like, the dumping in my neighborhood is so prevalent. And people will drive to the neighborhood and go, like, ugh, this place just looks like crap. And it's like, yeah, with stuff that came from neighborhoods like yours. Like, (laughs) that people are driving in from surrounding neighborhoods throwing a couch on the side of the road, Mm -hmm. and it looks trashy, and, like, that just brings down... The space and this really culminated for us a couple of years ago uh there was a guy uh who from a community down the street who came here and committed suicide he cut his wrists he had dumped gas all over his car uh and you know cut his wrists and lit a match and burned his car up uh in the middle of my neighborhood like on, on the grounds of our school across mm-hmm. the street when all my kids are on spring break oh, wow. so it's like he Drove from his neighborhood to my neighborhood to commit suicide. That that is what the surrounding communities think of my neighborhood is like. This is the place where I can do. I don't want to do that in front of kids in my community. Right, right. But I'll drive to that neighborhood and I'll do it over there. And it's just that we're here trying to keep it cleaned up, trying to elevate it in a certain level. You know we. Last year we did, uh, there was a murder on a, on a on Dwight Street, so just a block away from here. And we, so the answer for us was, why does it feel like this is a neighborhood where that can happen? Yeah. Uh, so our answer was, we need to do a block blitz. And we uh, did 31 home improvement projects on that street of just improving curb appeal on that street, just to make things look better, look nicer, got rid of a lot of scrub bushes that were growing up mowed a lot of vacant lots fixed a lot of porches did some siding on a couple of houses repainted some things just to you know almost block by block just go and just sort of raise it a little bit like
0: change perception just to
1: communicate this isn't a place where that can happen yeah and that that's a lot of the work that we do i, I look at what i'm doing mostly as a robin hood sort of situation mm-hmm. where I'm, I'm leveraging resources from surrounding communities and other people to really improve this one and mm-hmm. make life better for people who are here and that you know it is uh, arduous that you know i need five more of me to keep up with everything that's going on but mm-hmm. we're making a good dent we're mm-hmm. making good progress and neighbors are getting involved and they're grateful and they're sticking around because this neighborhood is getting better than the 12 other neighborhoods that are this hard and this frustrating around town mm-hmm. violent crime in my neighborhood is down 40 percent since awesome. we started that's awesome. uh that's not to say that violent crime doesn't still happen somebody got murdered in front of my house two months ago mm-hmm. um but it is getting better and people are sticking around and people mm-hmm. are chipping in and doing their part and that's huge and that's a huge step forward from where we were when we got here
0: mm-hmm. and you know it's funny that you said perc- um, perception is such a accurate word um because even in the gentleman you're talking about committed suicide whatever happened in his life he felt he wasn't what he's about to do he's not worthy of being in that neighborhood mm-hmm. i'm gonna go down with the outcast yeah. because maybe that's how he felt in his heart um but there's a lot of good people in these bad neighborhoods that's been dealt a bad hand even the ones that are addicted uh, doing things that your average joe blow wouldn't do There's just a pain deep down inside somewhere. Something happened. But in a lot of the core of these people, they're good people. Yeah. Um, And just don't know where to find that hope at.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, I was thinking about how that relates to race sometimes. So we had an intern. uh, We were doing pop-up markets where we go set up a farm stand in another neighborhood uh, and sell healthy food for really cheap. She was carrying a watermelon into the house and... She dropped it and it broke on the porch.
0: Mm.
1: And, you know, we had other things, got carried away, started putting stuff away, whatever. Uh, and uh a guy named Jeff comes down the street and he says, uh, I see, I see what you're doing here. So what are you talking about? He says, you're smashing this watermelon on the porch to send a message to black people about what you think about them in this community. I'm like, Jeff, like... You're missing it. You're missing it, dude. Like, you know, she she's in a sorority. She's clumsy. She's not sending a message to anybody. I'm like, calm down. Uh, and, you know, he's waving his gun around and yelling and whatever. And goes back down the street and just, you know, yells, you know, Micah Six hates black people. They're trying to... This is the overplay for the underlay. You've got... Da, 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 da. And just, you know, all his, way, all his way back down the street. And, you know, she felt awful. And I was mad and... So we just kind of moved on with our day. And about a couple hours later, um, Jeff's daughter comes down the street and says, uh, Hey, um, do you have any food? Like, we don't have any food in our pantry. And um, we're just hungry. And this is one of those things. I looked at her and I said, like, mm-hmm. in my mind, so like this is an exercise in loving my oh, right yeah, right now. I'm uh-huh. furious with Jeff. I can't believe that he went down the street disparaging our name. Like th- that's incredibly frustrating. Um, but right now, I'm I'm being asked to feed him, and mm-hmm. that's what I need to do. And made up a box, sent it down the street. You know, and and that that there are that I'm sure that he was coming down the street to ask that same question, and. Saw a smashed watermelon and thought like, Coleman is wasting food, <laughs> at this time when I don't have it, and yeah. and that's I'm sure very frustrating, and yeah. very hard to see and very hard to live and very hard to experience, and you know that that was maybe the most frustrating way to handle it, uh, but you know that that's that, that's a very different lived experience and and that that's what the reaction that got elicited, you know, that got brought out, you know, and and Jeff's a good dude, you know, like Jeff. That was just a really dumb thing he did that day. And I know that there are plenty of dumb things that I do that, you know, even when we talk about violence in this neighborhood, you know, um, that since we know everybody, it's more like your weird uncle doing it. You know, so, for (laughs) instance, you know, uh, Tim, Tim Living the Street, uh, was yelling at a football game his neighbor upstairs told him to shut up Tim said I'll show you shut up and (laughs) grabs his gun and walks outside he just shoots the guy's car six times no one's in the car Tim's not trying to hurt anybody he's just fired up and mad that this guy told him to shut up and so he went and shot his car and so we all just kind of go like stupid Tim like what are you doing quit being an idiot Uh, but you know if you just heard like six shots in the neighborhood, you know, without the full story, it's not... This wasn't violence. This was mm-hmm. him being dumb, yeah. you know, and kind of drunk and whatever. But yeah. um there are great people here. People take have taken really good care of us. People love what we do. People love serving each other here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's all part of the neighborhood story also.
0: All right, so... You do um, amazing work uh, with growing um, produce for the neighborhood. Um, How did the, um, with everything that happened with the pandemic, did that affect you negatively or positively?
1: So every organization that helps people, and even organizations that don't, I guess, uh, all had a conversation probably in March of 2020 where they said, there's this thing, this pandemic's coming up are we leaning in or are we taking a step back uh, and every organization had to decide that for themselves uh, and I really to watch where organizations fell in that conversation was incredibly frustrating the number of organizations you know clinic here in town that sees people who don't have insurance mm-hmm. a healthcare clinic that said we're shutting down mm. like this is what you exist for right. like, what are you talking about we're shutting down like You know, there's an organization in town that does food. It's the only organization that does food for homeless people 365 days a year. Shut down. And it's like, what do you exist for if not for moments like this? Uh, And so we had the conversation, but there wasn't really a conversation. It's just like, we're leaning in. Let's go. Uh, And so Sprout, which is our vegetable store, went 100% free uh, for three months. Uh, just said anybody who needs food can come and get food uh, we partnered with a number of agencies and organizations uh, to make sure that we were sourcing their clients with healthy food mm-hmm. uh, and so we really jumped in uh, started you know delivering produce bags every week so throughout covid so march of 2020 through june of 2021 uh, we handed out 18,000 bags of produce uh, to families around the city uh, and we found that if you were in if you continued to serve that there was funding and partnership there to make that happen and so the united way for southeast michigan jumped in right away helped us out a number of our large supporting congregations sort of doubled their support helped us make sure that we could do it and then as we expanded the things we were doing we really wanted to make sure that we were taking care of neighbors as well so anybody that we hired on to be part of that work um was somebody who lived in the neighborhood who had lost their job because of COVID. So mm-hmm. we were able to hire people in the community nice. to just turn right around and keep doing nice. the food work that we were doing expand the food work we were doing and serve as many people as we could. So, um, in terms of, you know, was it good for us? Was it not good for us? Um, you know, we lost a board member. Um, Bert Bryan was, uh, our first board member who, you know, believed in this thing when it was just an idea. Mm-hmm. And, um, caught covid and passed away he you know he was 72 he was a uh triathlete he had gone for a seven mile run that morning and that afternoon he said it felt like i couldn't catch my breath and went into the hospital the week before thanksgiving and passed away the week after new year's oh so sorry um you know we lost our neighbor michelle uh who had a couple of other you know um you know, previously existing conditions that sort of led to her being more susceptible and taking a harder hit when she got COVID and so mm. she passed away. Um, you know, so we, we were able to serve a lot of people and really expand our footprint and sort of put it, put it out there that we're an organization that helps. Like, and that's what we're here for. Mm. Um, but, you know, we lost a lot of people and lost a lot of people that we really love, that we we're really close to uh and that was hard but um organizationally like we, we really got to communicate and it was just one more way to demonstrate that we're here for our neighbors and for our community and for the people that we serve
0: that's good that's good um gonna be wrapping up in a second um underground church uh mm-hmm. tell us about the unorthodox at least in terms in america um, the unorthodox way you conduct your services on the first day of the week.
1: Sure. So Sunday night, we're, we're an evening church. Uh, my neighbors don't really get up and start moving around until 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And so uh, we are an evening church. We, uh, our, our first, you know, I'll sort of tell you, we started uh, Easter of 2014, kind of said, okay, we're going to launch like an actual like, church-church. And we have been doing Bible study and things like that with a lot of our homeless friends up until then. Uh, and so they... But they kept asking for something on Sunday. And so uh, we said, okay. So we started at 9. No one came. Moved into 10, 11, 12, 1. Like, a couple of people started coming at 1 o'clock. And then we ultimately pumped it pumped it through the evening. Uh, and we weren't getting a lot of traction. and We didn't know why. Um, and then out of nowhere, like, it really started... And what we didn't realize had happened was we had uh, some friends, Sam and Leah, who um, lived, uh, they were a couple, lived in a vacant house down the street. Um, and they initially came to our house, like a lot of people come to our house uh, from the neighborhood who just come initially because they need to charge their phones. Uh, and So they would come and use our electricity, charge their phones for a while. Then they would come and make uh, lunch. So make ramen, make soup, make, you know, grilled cheese sandwiches, whatever it is. Uh, and so, you know, kind of in this time, the first first six years of Micah like Six or so, we always had a number of homeless people who were just hanging out at our house all the time. And so uh, then they started coming on Tuesday nights, and they said, hey, they said, hey, can we come hang out on Tuesday nights? And I said, sure, what, why Tuesday? And they said, well, that's when the new episodes of The Walking Dead come out. And so we would have what we call dead night at our house on Tuesday. And uh, then they started coming over. You know, one day uh, Sam showed up, and she had like a, a split lip. And I said, what happened? she's like, oh, Leah and I got in an argument and she punched me. And I was like, oh, goodness, well, that's awful. And then we saw Leah and she had two black eyes and like bruises on her neck. We're like, there's two sides to this story. Uh, and so <laughs> we, we started offering, you know, we, we said, hey, if, if you need a place to come in, you know, hash things out, argue, maybe just other people in the room would kind of make sure that it didn't escalate to that level, uh, you can come down here. And so they would come down at, sometimes like 1 and 2 o'clock at night and just have arguments in our living room like while me and Dylan are sitting there like, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, let's bring down the volume. Like, we don't really need to... That that seems irrelevant. We shouldn't really bring that up right now. <laughs> um, but uh, one day Sam came down and said, hey, Leah hasn't moved in two days. And I said, that's not good. Uh, and so I went down there. It's the only time I had ever been in their house. Uh, it was an empty vacant house with a twin mattress on the floor, like under like a live wire hanging from the ceiling. And, uh, Leah was this awful shade of gray. And, uh, so we took her, we threw her in my car, uh, started driving to, there's three hospitals in my town. One you go to if you need a surgery, one you go to if you get stabbed or shot, and one you don't go to. Uh, and so we were on our way to stabbed or shot hospital and, Leah's in the back like making this awful noise like uh, and I don't do well in uncomfortable situations and so I, I said to Sam I said uh, if she starts to turn you know what to do which is a joke about the walking dead that if she turned into a zombie we'd have to hit her in the head with something um, which did not land well but anyway we got to the hospital uh, and uh, took her in and after a couple hours, doctor comes out and says, you know, she had gone septic, she had an infection at her injection site that had gotten into her bloodstream, and we've got her sort of doing better now. But if you want to organize an intervention, now's the time to uh, to do that. And so I got her phone, uh, and I called Daddy in her phone, which when you do that, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, and so her, but her father answered, uh, and he's the assistant superintendent of schools of a pretty... Vanilla, bland, boring suburb not far from here. Very normal family. And I said, Hi, my name's Coleman, now your daughter. I'm in the hospital with her right now. She had complications from drug use. Uh, if you want to talk to her about getting into treatment with me, I'd really appreciate your help. And he said, That was probably really scary because it's the first time you've seen it. But after you see it a couple times, you really get over it. I'm not coming. So I talked to her about trying to get into treatment alone. She didn't go. She went, got out, went back to using. Um, But then church started growing. And what we didn't know at the time was that she had gone, you know, she was using sort of with her friends or whatever, and um, she was saying, hey, I can't get too messed up because I have church Sunday night. And they would sort of laugh and say, you have church? She says, yeah, I have church. And they'd say, oh, well, you're, you know, your pastors probably don't know what you're doing right now or what, you know, what's going on. And she says, no, like, if anybody knows my life, it's Coleman and it's Dylan. And then they started asking, like, is that a church that I can go to? I'm a heroin addict or I'm homeless or I'm an alcoholic or I'm a sex offender or, you know, any number of things. And the answer is always yes. And so um, the initial sort of wave of people who came to our church were people who were in addiction, who were... You mostly using heroin with Leah on uh, different nights of the week, and so uh, because of that, our church has always looked weird. Uh, it is, you know, still mostly addicts, uh, still a lot of quasi homeless people, um, and so you know Dylan will put up the five minute countdown. Everybody goes outside, smokes a cigarette. You come back in, we sing three songs that all sound horrible uh then you know dylan says see someone you haven't seen in a while everybody goes outside smokes again we call it nicotine fellowship uh and then you know you can only talk for about 10 minutes before people start getting really antsy and whatever uh and then we always do food everything we have everything we do has food at it uh, just because so many people if you're if you're poor if you don't have a ton of money you're always doing math in your brain about what you can and can't pay for in a month mm. uh, and so if we can take care of the food question uh, for you then we try to do that so uh, we offer about 23 meals a month at different things that we do that's good uh, and so that's that's church and it's right now it's meeting in the back of our vegetable store uh, we're out of space we've outgrown that space uh, pretty consistently so uh, don't know you know it'll be a while before a community center opens and we get to move in there but uh, right now we're just having a pretty cool church in a pretty small room in the that's back good. of our vegetable store
0: that's so, good that's good Um, how, um, has it created any consistent discipleship, any converts?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we have, uh, watched people grow in ways that were unexpected. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, I, I, is it the church necessarily? I don't know. I I think that it is long, consistent walking through life, uh, that comes with Christian relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, church, church is great. Church feeds people. Church is a place where we can kind of share ideas and share vision and gather. And that's really great. But the real life change that we've seen has come with this long, consistent, unshakable relationship that, you know, we've seen folks go from homelessness to being into more established housing situations. We've, walked through custody battles with parents. We've walked through relapse, cleanliness, relapse, you know, situations, employment situations, and just, um, so I I don't know that the church necessarily did all that, but it's just the long relationship work. And uh, we're seeing people grow. We're seeing people be there for each other, uh, take care of each other, support each other, that there is a stronger sense of community in that group of people, than there is sort of in the wider community or in the wider city, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're we're seeing lives change and uh, you know connections happen and reunifications happen and a lot of real repenting and a lot of real growth and a lot of real sort of moving through life in a in a much better relationship with God and with Jesus for sure. Yeah.
0: Um. What continues to inspire your selfless attitude and those around you?
1: Selfless? I don't know. Um,
0: uh, I mean, you're not doing it for the money. at six-figure salary <laughs> not coming. That is, that is true. Um,
1: <laughs> so, I am blessed, and I really, that word has gotten cheesy, but I really mean it in this situation. Um it is a blessing that my friends came with me that that if nobody would have shown up i would have quit a long time ago So
0: those initial six still
1: so of the initial six dylan and i are still here my wife came a year after that so um, so she is here and then we've added really great people over the years but uh, of the initial six i guess there are still three of us who mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. um and that is you know that if they wouldn't have come i would have quit Long time ago, but there is a real benefit to uh, having a hard day, and my best friend living ten feet down the hall from me. Mm. Uh, my best friend, who's also on this mission with me, uh, so that that was, that was fantastic, especially in the early days. And then, yeah, my favorite thing about you know Acts when all the apostles are they go out and then they come back and then they go out and they come back and uh-huh. they they just sit around and they're telling good stories. And I think if you're if you're walking in the path that God has given you, it comes with really good stories, mm-hmm. and you know they're sitting together and they're going, "I met this guy," and Stephen's like, "I teleported." Is anybody else teleported? <laughs> I don't know. And Paul's like, "I got to by my that. that was weird. <laughs> um, so you know that that the stories that come with walking with God and sort of living the life that's out there for you and, and just you know seeing it work seeing it you know and and work is relative right like mm-hmm. work means work can be you know we started the, this person here and now they've been clean for five years and now they're they're running our AA group that, that meets in the back of Sprout on Sunday afternoons like that's huge like that's great but it's also like Norman was maybe one of the loneliest people I ever met and we always begged him to come to stuff and get plugged in and he never did and uh, and then he came finally for Christmas uh, in 2015 and mm. uh, we have a big meal here at the house for Christmas every year and he came and he had a great day and he shared a lot and he shared so much about his life and you know how uh, grateful he was for a number of things and you know we just got to like love on Norman for a day and then three days later he passed away mm. and you know we were there the time that he showed up and consistency does that Uh, we were there for exactly when he needed it and then you know he died but how much sadder would it have been if he needed it and no one was there? Um, so knowing that you know there are a number of times when we've been there on the right day at the right time for the right people to really make a difference. Um, yeah, that's what keeps you going.
0: Um, so what's next on the horizon for Micah 6?
1: Man, um, we're still getting better at food. Um, handing out more food, growing more food. Um, that's coming up. We are in the midst of fundraising to renovate a vacant school building to turn into a community center. So Pontiac used to have uh, six community centers. Now it doesn't have any. Uh, so we're getting ready to renovate and open this community center uh, which is going to be a game changer for this neighborhood and for the people here who had direct uh, influence over what goes in that building. That We asked what do you want. They said this is what we want and then we went and made that happen. Um, God be and so that is going to be huge. For people in this community and so that's exciting that's coming up. that work is slow is slowly starting remediation starts uh this month and then construction starts in the spring and nice we're rocking and rolling um so that's the next big thing for us
0: oh you know what real quick tell him you told me how much food you had gave out How's does that gradually increase I know sure. people would love to hear this.
1: so first year we grew 500 pounds uh, which is a good amount to grow and give to the people who are growing it thanks a lot here you go thank you um, the next year we grew 1,200 which starts I always say starts to be annoying uh, like that's people don't want that many beets or vegetables or tomatoes or whatever and so we actually started making up bags and hanging them on door knobs in apartment buildings in our neighborhood and so a lot of times we were feeding people before we ever actually met them, which was fun. Uh, now we're doing, you know, we're hovering right about six thousand pounds of food every year That's nice. uh, on about an acre and a half. We have two hoop houses, getting ready to build a four season greenhouse in the spring. Uh, but Sprout, our vegetable store, so with what we grow uh, and what moves through Sprout in a year, we'll probably put about forty eight thousand pounds of food wow. back into the neighborhood.
0: It's tremendous, tremendous um lastly tell the folks how they can get involved with your efforts
1: man uh, learn more about us so check us out at, it's micah six with the the number six community.com uh, that's another reason i would change the name can you spell it <laughs> out or <laughs> micah the number six word community.com um and then if you're interested in that community center project that's webstercommunity.org um, we're on Facebook we're on Instagram if you want to go see pictures of what we do I'm, I'm really like I'm the worst at updating our website it's just <laughs> so far from what I want to do in any given day and so not great at the website but uh, Instagram Facebook that's kind of where you can go see all the work that we do you
0: still had 2020 stuff so I wasn't going to say anything but now that you open that door
1: yeah yeah it's <laughs> It's, like, I just, I just <laughs> so don't care. Like, I, I know it's important, but
0: you're doing much better work than that. Something greater than a yeah, website.
1: Yeah, so, so I'll, I'll go update it sometimes. But yeah, so that's the that's the website. Check us out. Shoot me an email: coldyocom at gmail.com dot com. Really good at emails. Uh-huh. I'm bad at websites. Great at emails. So that's what I do.
0: All right. Thank you for your time. But thank you for having us out.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm honored to be your first on location interview. Yeah, this is very exciting. So.
0: This was something I had to see with my own eyes. Yeah,
1: I, and and I'm a fan of the pod, so thank,
0: thank you. you. I'm glad that I got to be on it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that'll be it, folks. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation. Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at Liberation underscore Pod. Liberation is sponsored by Doodlebugs by DeVita. Thoughtful handmade jewelry designs inspired by love, peace, and unity. Shop Doodlebugs at doodlebugsbydevita.square.site. And for the Etsy lovers, it's doodlebugsbydevita.etsy.com. Use the promo code Liberation and get 10% off your order. Follow Doodlebugs on Twitter at Doodlebugs4U. That's doodlebugs, the number four, the letter U. And Instagram, by doodlebugsbydevita. Super pleased to announce the arrival of Liberation Apparel. Uh, just simply go to my website, liberation.simplecast.com. Uh, you will find the link for Liberation Apparel, where you'll find tons of items for men, women, and children with more to come find something you like at checkout, enter the code liberation to receive free shipping on your order. Again, it's free shipping on your order, with the promo code liberation.